Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lines Ed by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is a fellow brother of the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom Hong Christ, Nate. What's up, buddy? That's correct. It's me, Nate. How's it going? It's going. Uh, I am doing a lot of work at the moment for future episodes, uh, and I recently uh, finished the rough draft of a manuscript, so I'm now having to edit that. Uh, so I officially have like sore fingers, like the old lady from Billy Madison, which is outstanding. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think that well was done. Happy Gilmore. That was Happy Gilmore. Yeah, I was going to say, all those Adam Sandler movies kind of blend together almost by design. Uh, I think the fact that he called his production company Happy Madison was kind of like foretelling the future in the sense that it all just becomes this blur of Adam Sandlerism. So yeah, you're not too far off. Yeah. Oh, and I do have to say before we start, we have two episodes of this series out right now. This is uh, part three of the Taiping Rebellion. I've heard your complaints. It is in fact pronounced Ching, not King. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I there's a degree I to which we'll try. We absolutely try, and we don't, we, don't, we don't say this out of any disrespect. It's just that it's a challenge sometimes because even trying to approximate stuff, like neither one of us speaks Chinese or really understands the romanization system used for Chinese names. And so like, we will absolutely do our best. And if, if we are saying something fucking wrong, then absolutely please like, let us know. We'll, we will try. We promise we will try. But there's a degree to which like, it's always going to sound fucking weird and this is speaking from someone who i've tried i really have but i remember a friend of mine who speaks cantonese as his first language trying to teach me how to say basic stuff in cantonese and like i'm pretty good at learning languages but that's that's my limit like the sound that i'm saying wrong sounds like exactly the same as the sound that i'm saying that he says i'm supposed to be saying to sound right i just don't get it my ears aren't good enough i am i'm there's this is absolutely a case of just chinese superiority your ability to pronounce this stuff is far beyond our tiny brains and uh yeah we we will try and we don't mean any disrespect whatsoever uh it's just that we are we we are morons with cte the only person i uh mean to disrespect my mispronunciation of the chinese is the long dead uh emperor of china so unfortunately he's not hearing me and hong let's be honest hey hey whoa whoa you leave you leave jesus little brother alone he didn't do anything wrong <laughs> he's just misunderstood See, this is this is the elaborate ruse of this whole series that by the end it swerves around and joe actually reveals that he's a disciple of hong yeah i'm actually uh jesus's little brother's uh like eighth cousin's little brother once removed uh and i'm restarting the uh, taiping christianity here in armenia i'm sure that'll go really really well i'm sure there's nothing that's going to stand in the way so I, I you know what i i, I figure let's let's get on to the topic so you yeah. can go about your business of proselytizing the good word. Um, so when we left you last time, the rebellion of the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom had ground to a halt during the botch attempt to march in the Chinese imperial capital of Peking, only to make a small detour to get lost, starve, and freeze to death, which is something of the holy trifecta of this podcast. Um, very rarely do we have a series where someone doesn't get lost, starve, and freeze to death. Um, so we're checking all the blocks. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you do a little Soviet-Afghan war, a little Napoleon's invasion of Russia, you know, you're planning on doing one on Stalingrad. Like, yeah, we always do wind up tight. Uh, Tannenberg was in the summer, so we didn't really have a problem. But, you know, I'm sure somebody was cold, like getting rained on, you know, during like night watch, freezing in the summer. It yeah. happened. Uh, they weren't freezing, but they were starving and thirsty. So we do get, exactly. we do get two of those. We got, like, like Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad. So, you know, <laughs> there's a general spectrum here. Venn diagram overlap. You want to hit the, the, the middle, but sometimes you just get two. Uh, yeah. Little known fact, famed uh, German imperial soldier, Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's not. I can't remember what his actual name is, and it's extremely not German at all. He's extremely American. But there's something Germanic about the iconography on Bad Out of Hell. Like all the artwork around it, just feels it feels like it could be like a German metal band. Uh, we'll, I will not derail the episode with my fandom <laughs> of Bad Out of Hell. Bad Out of Hell fucking whips ass though, and it's very funny. I'm just gonna say this. It is very funny that literally no record company would take a chance on it except some tiny ass like regional label and I want to say Michigan and then they sold like 20 million copies of that album. A Michigan doesn't like, succeed very often, but when we do, you know, it, exactly. It's via Dervit Meatloaf. Uh <laughs> yeah. Nah, dude, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I I think Meatloaf has bad politics. I think he's a dickhead. I think he is. Him yeah. Jim, I think him and Jim, but him and Jim Steinberg working together in the 70s making that album unbelievable like untouchably amazing so just just that's that's my fandom i like bad out of hell let's continue talking about something completely <laughs> fucking different uh, the imperial forces at this point had actually figured out uh, a pretty good way to counter the uh taiping rebels but uh it wasn't in the way that people would think and we did uh uh talk about this a little bit in episode one uh, the rebels, driven by either religious fervor or fear of strict punishment if they didn't had said religious fervor, had become incredibly good at digging in whenever they stopped their advance for even an hour, sometimes just a day. Uh, and so as soon as they would stop, they would work without any breaks, sometimes for hours and days at a time until like defensive pickets and defensive works were done. So whenever the Taiping army stopped, they would just frantically start digging like NPCs from like a Rome Total War game until, until say, things this were reminds done. Me of how I, this reminds me of how I treat my villagers in Age of Empires 4. So, you know, like, yeah, exactly. no way. It's like, yeah, yeah, just palisade walls, digging, mining, you know, making farms, harvesting sheep, harvesting deer, harvesting stone, gold, etc. You know what? At it, just do it. Yep. They never ask for. They never ask for rest. Yeah, I assume they don't need it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, unlike the video game villagers, these guys are just fueled by a deep belief in Jesus Christ's little uh, little brother, or fear of what happens should they not have that deep belief. Um, now, for a little while, it, so it's now May eighteen sixty four. And the Imperial forces had surrounded what remained of the original rebel Northern force, the one that had lost, starved and frozen to death, uh, which is around 50,000 men or so. Uh, and r rather than try to lay siege uh, on their camps or you know, assault them frontally, which they had been doing mostly, um, Imperial mil military commanders had a better idea now better is a relative term because nearby was the grand canal uh which is a great natural weapon if you happen to be in completely insane and have an unlimited supply of laborers on hand which the imperial government was and did so after noticing the rebels had camped out an old dried out riverbed 
The Imperial commanders ordered their laborers to begin digging a massive ditch to divert the waters directly into it. Now, this took over a month of working around the clock, and when they finally succeeded, the results were, in short, apocalyptic. Um, Because when you divert the Grand Canal, and I cannot describe how massive it is. You can look up a picture of it. It's fucking huge. Um, When you divert something that large, you can't control it. Uh, A tidal wave washed into the area, completely sweeping away the rebel camp, as well as several dozen nearby villages. Whoops. Yeah. I remember hearing stuff vaguely alluded to, and I may, I, I can't remember if it's the Taiping Rebellion or if it was something else in Chinese history as like an example of, it, it might've been in like the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, reading it as a kid, but hearing stories about things like, yeah, diverting entire rivers, blowing up dams, things along these lines tends to happen. And it's just like, oh, collateral damage. We'll, we'll, we'll think about that. You know, you haven't, you haven't advanced to a far enough age in AOE4 to think about collateral damage. You just fucking do it. And it's, very bad. Extremely bad. Yeah. Yeah. This is not the only time that a, uh, a canal or river is diverted for military purposes in Chinese military history. Um, I will say this is probably not the worst of those times. Now, most of the rebels yeah. are killed outright, uh, but a few magic climb onto some nearby high ground, uh, sometimes on top of village houses, hills, whatever. Um, and we actually do not know how many civilians are killed in this because, you know, they probably just washed away never to be seen again uh yeah 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 i mean i remember an estimate for another one it wasn't this like thinking back on it now it wasn't this you know that they estimated like three hundred thousand people died it's like i don't think that many people died in this one but quite frankly you could imagine tens of thousands might have easily like yeah easily yeah. uh tens of thousands of rebels tens of thousands of civilians um and now these these small groups of rebels were like huddling together away from the floodwaters uh and then imperial soldiers just kind of paddled over to them on boats uh, and started killing each group one by one. Um, nobody's sure again. In- in- inadvisable, I guess. To, to but I mean, yeah. Yikes. It's just, it's just thinking about this, like you've just gotten hit by like flood attack, and now <laughs> yeah. you, you, you you try to you try to try to you know stow away in a boat anything that'll float to get out of it, and then folks are just coming down in boats, just picking you off. Well, like, yeah, like I mean, they're dickheads, but still, everyone involved in this is a dickhead, except innocent civilians so like this is yeah it sucks uh, you're you've survived the the like apocalyptic flood huddling on top of a, of a nearby house you're like hey look a boat i hope they're coming to help us <laughs> fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and then ominous music just starts playing yeah uh nobody's sure how many people died in all of this uh rebels or civilians alike but what's more important than this is River banks and river beds, dried ones, uh, you know, areas around rivers are incredibly important to growing crops. Correct. Uh, and irrigation of farmland. Uh, so the material losses in both of those things are kind of incalculable. Uh, it's safe to say it's uh, steep, uh, especially when we get yeah. into the later years, uh, especially part four of the series. Uh, and even later on in this one, famine's coming, uh, which I'm sure everybody already kind of figured. Uh, and this does not help uh, in that aspect. Um, now, it turned out either drowning or being stabbed to death while huddled on top of a nearby house was a better fate than what happened to those who happened to be captured by Qing forces. 
the rebel leader, Li Kaifeng, was one of the men who got captured. He surrendered. Uh, and he was sentenced to die by something called Ling Chi, the lingering death, sometimes known as death by a thousand cuts, which sounds oh, bad. Yeah, it's like death by a thousand cuts. I always hear about this as sort of like a metaphor. I didn't realize it was a real thing. I mean, I should have assumed it didn't just get invented as like a, a cute phrase, but ugh, yuck. Yeah, uh, so it's difficult to figure out accurate details of how the Ling Chi executions took place because they actually varied quite a bit. Um, depending on how big of an asshole the person doing it was and how much they hated you. But generally, it consisted of cuts to the arms, legs, and chest, sometimes amputation of the limbs very slowly, followed by decapitation or stab to the heart in case they were, I assume, a vampire. Uh, In short, it was a really bad time. Uh, If you were lucky, it could take 20 minutes, Uh, but sometimes you're not so lucky, and this was uh, something measured in days. So, yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Uh, the worst way to go. You should have just dove into the river, it turns out. Yeah, I mean, just imagining getting getting hauled out of the river and be like, sweet, I survived. And then it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, like we're sharpening a lot of weird knives that no one ever takes out of their case except for this one reason. We're going to turn you... Do you know what the reason is? <laughs> it sucks. We're turning you over to a guy we call Jimmy Little Knives. Uh, I was gonna it's going to be real he's got, bad. He's got... Sh- He's got shit you can only describe as a fantasy future axe, and he's sharpening that thing really, really good. Yeah, he's the guy that nobody really likes to hang around with because of what he does for his job. Um, Now, this spelled the end of the Northern March of the Heavenly Kingdom. At the same time this was happening, there's also a Western advance by the rebels, which was also a failure, but more of a success than the Northern one was. They once again failed to take Changsha, Uh, Their invasion of Hunan ran smack dab into a local military competence for the first time, because like I've constantly repeated, I say like Imperial Army to make things easier, but generally the Taipings are fighting what is more, I guess, accurately called a decentralized warlord army. Um, and these were all very different in their competence level. Most of them bad. Uh, In the Western advance, they ran into some real competence. Uh, This led to them retreating, but they did manage to capture Wu Chang with an army led by an 18-year-old general, Chen Wu Chang. So, yeah. Uh, What were you doing when you were 18? Were you you taking over a large Chinese city? I think not. No, I was was discovering and then recoiling from uh, the combination of whatever those Jack Daniels Alco Pops they sold in 2003 were, like the sort of mixed Jack and Cokes and Jar and Black Clove cigarettes, which the combination of the two things will give you among the worst hangovers you've ever had in your life. It's just the early 2000s, there were so many nice, delicious, get people hooked on alcohol, sweet beverages, which are disgusting to me now. But as a kid, I was like, sick, these are great. And not only are, like, are they awful and very insidious, but they, they really give you bad hangovers. You should just stick to the basics. Like, stick to the stuff that kind of tastes gross at first, but then you, uh, you, know, you get used to it. Um, and then you don't have to look back with regret at the times when you like, were puking out the side of a car because you drank too many Mike's Hard Lemonades or whatever the fuck. <laughs> You're just describing the aroma of a Hot Topic store. 
Yeah, I mean, look, man, we were there. You know, whatever people try to like evoke the ambiance of it for a Tumblr meme or a thing on Twitter, anything on social media, even for like a show on TV on Netflix, like they get most of it right. They get some things right, but there's always like anachronisms. Me and Joe were there. We lived it. We know what it's fucking like. We can. We were that guy running at you really fast with like a thousand keys fucking hanging from a carabiner on the side <laughs> of his belt loop because he thinks you stole his CD wallet full of like burned CDRs of terrible hardcore. Like... That was basically us. Actually, no, it wasn't basically. That was us. Yeah. Uh, Chen Bu Cheng is uh, wearing an Invader Zim shirt, chain smoking clove cigarettes. Oh, God. I, my first girlfriend in high school was into Invader Zim. God, that's like a, like a negative reverie right there, just fucking bringing it all back. Yeah. <laughs> fucking imagine now backpack with Invader Zim quotes written on it in white out. If you know, you know it. It's bad. Naruto running directly into a Chinese city uh, to take it over. <laughs> I think Naruto running might actually be an anachronism. I think that may have come later, but I don't you know. know. I, I don't really I know anything right. about anime. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I enlisted in the army when I was 17, so 18-year-old me was just fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah, I, I joined the army. Uh, technically, I mean, I, I signed up for my first foray to the army when I was 18 and, and signed the, the real contract when I was 19. So yeah, also an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I clearly should have joined the rebellion. I would have been promoted faster. Uh, <laughs> exactly you know <laughs> uh now they they come up with a pretty smart way to capture the city of Luzhou after several months of failing they would dig two tunnels one on top of the other and they would blow up the first one um which after that obviously like they'd blow up the walls uh tunneling underneath them and the imperial defenders and of course a lot of civilians would run out to repair this damage to hold off the invading forces and then a time delayed bomb in the second tunnel would go off killing everybody who came up uh to repair the damages then opening an even bigger hole uh, which you know is kind of a tactic i'm personally familiar with um uh, <laughs> yeah i know nothing about this i've never encountered this strategy uh it's entirely foreign to me also i have to say joe like once again with all of the caveats that everybody involved is a dickhead you have to admit this kind of a little bit badass which i can imagine the people that were blowing us up also felt the exact same way they're like like fuck these guys they should get out of our country they're pieces of shit but also like this is badass i make a hole with a bomb and then when they come to fix it i make a bigger one that blows everyone up yeah uh it's it's probably if you're the guy pushing the fucking connecting the batteries it's like you know connecting a long strain of alternator wire that's been stripped out of like a shitty like waz or kamaz russian truck and is blowing shit up that's probably cool that's probably sick as hell. I've never done it. I've just been blown up by it. <laughs> I mean, in the last episode, they had fucking dog-blooded horseshit IEDs. Like, they have the, yeah. these, these dudes fucking rule. I mean, they don't, but, you know, in a vacuum, in certain situations. Um, now, for the record, I was never blown up really close. It just was shit that went off nearby or, you know, like they missed or controlled debts with EOD. So just just in case you're wondering, all of my problems and all of my inability to stay on topic, that's just my own brain. <laughs> that's just me being like fucked from birth. That's got nothing to do with the valiant Mujahideen warriors of Afghanistan. That's to say nothing of the, uh, the, the in utero IEDs, which are becoming a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to make a joke even if it would be a joke about my own mother okay that's one thing I won't do on this podcast now uh they also captured a few more things in Jiangxi province uh it's called tequila yeah. <laughs> I think that's also how I was born uh after teaming up with again the local mafia and secret societies uh 
Um, despite all of these gains and advancing thousands of miles, because remember, this has been thousands of miles of advance uh, north and west, uh, they have been barely managing to hold the heavenly capital as the government continued to counterattack them as close as 40 miles away from the city to the east. Uh, in other places, Imperial soldiers were only a few miles away in forts that the rebels had simply never bothered to take out. And nobody is sure why. Uh, I assume they were just, I don't know, too busy making sure nobody was getting their di- dick sucked in the city walls or something. Like the, the fuck secret police were, were, were too time consuming to go do their jobs. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that was really a thing they were into, wasn't it? We talked about this last time, just the sheer volume of like how into policing people's sexual behavior they were. And it felt like, yeah, that really became the like the the primary expenditure of energy for them was like, are you are you fucking in a biblically correct way? And also no one can fuck in a biblically correct way. But also Jesus's little brother has a harem and he can fuck however he wants. Disregard that. Yeah, it, they were like literally militant incels. Uh, <laughs> the, supre- right. the supreme gentleman, Hong Zhukuan. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just like, like 19th century Chinese manosphere. <laughs> oh, God. Now, of all of the directional kings of the rebellion, only one who I guess is not technically a directional king because he started getting more and more kings. His celestial family is rapidly ballooning. Uh, a guy named Shi Dekai, who is by far the, his most competent general at this point, who is the wing king, which immediately jumped to my mind like a chain of hot wing restaurants. Um, like... He's not like the king of the north, the west, the south. Or he is the wing king. Uh, wing king. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like he's selling you chicken on the side for sure. Um, now he was actually still commanding armies in the field. And he's the only king doing that at this point. Hong included. Or everybody else is inside the heavenly capital. Hong had completely removed himself from public life. Rarely appearing at times outside of his palace. And only commuting to anybody in vaguely worded religious poetry um like someone pointed out that that most people within the heavenly capital the only reason why they know that hong was doing anything is that when he went to pray they would fire cannons so like all right all right i guess hong is uh going to talk to dad again i don't know um now historians for example jonathan spence uh the author of god's chinese son argue that At this point, Hong effectively no longer controlled his own rebellion. Um, All of his kings kind of were doing whatever they wanted. However, the most control and real control of the kingdom fell to the East King, Yang Zhuqing, or Zhu Qing. He decides to start speaking publicly as the voice of God, which remember up until this point, only Hong could do that. Um, he also shit talks Hong in private and even tries to steal some of his harem, which again, even speaking of Hong's harem was enough to get you executed. And this dude is, st- is like turning into, uh, I don't know, Mr. Steal your harem or whatever. Yeah. It feels like this is a, a, a crack in, in the edifice in terms of like what people are used to getting away with versus this guy kind of pushing it. So, you know, I don't know what's Hong going to do is, is Hong going to lay the law down or are things just becoming too fucked up for him to manage? Now, here's an interesting question where do people believe that Hong actually believed his own bullshit or did he only, only was he only saying all this to, you know, as a mechanism and leverage of power? Um, and this is where I think it is both. 
Um, because in meetings with other kings, Yang says God had ordered the heavenly king to take 40 blows from the rod due to his dereliction of duty. So the East King is saying Hong needs to be physically punished due to f- the failure of the Northern advance. Um, and Hong mm. submits to this. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, he also spends a lot of time trash talking Hong's four-year-old son and heir to the throne. Uh, that could very easily be explained as like competition, right? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, but also like three-year-old son, but cool, man. Congratulations. But also like, isn't it basically illegal? Isn't it basically against the Bible for people to fucking have kids? So like weirded out a little bit, like you're, you, this is three years is within the time frame of what's going on. So that's within the sort of establishment of the heavenly kingdom, et cetera. It's just sort of like, yeah, doesn't everybody have basically an invalid marriage except you who isn't married to now your concubine? The celestial family have been fucking like crazy. Most of them have multiple uh-huh. wives, harems, whatever. Um, and nobody seems to care within their circle. It's only anybody outside the quote unquote celestial family that has to do like impromptu semen retention. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know what? Like well, that, that being said, those people are definitely like the reason they can work day and night building palisade walls and digging tunnels is that they're retaining so much of their vital fluids. <laughs> Everybody's stacking blocks on top of another to build another palace. Like, man, I wish I was fucking instead of building the shit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Yang also begins to take over huge swaths of the government as well as most importantly, anything that can involve the use of the death penalty, which, again, is pretty much every criminal case from murder to smoking opium, all the way down to getting your dick sucked at this point. And before this, this was only the purview of Hong. Hong controlled life and death, and Yang was slowly pulling that away. He also wrote his own edicts that overturned edicts that Hong had passed, which is effectively heresy at this point. Yeah. I mean, it does seem as though. This is uh, putting putting Ol Hong in an interesting position where he's going to have to enforce his shit or he's going to have to reveal that he doesn't actually believe or care. And Hong promotes him. So, <laughs> ah, all right. Well, I uh, like I said, it, I figured it could go one of two ways and I guess it went the other way than what I was expecting. Now, rather than immediately having his head cut off, Hong bestows a new title on Yang, Wind of the Holy Spirit, which... In Taiping Christianity uh, is effectively the Holy Ghost. So, you know, the Holy Trinity, despite the fact they fucking hate Catholics, they use the Trinity in different words. Um, and there's, there's something a lot of people aren't sure of about Yang at this point, whether this is a power play by Yang. Um, and Hong understood that at this point he had centralized so much power onto himself that if he killed Yang, he'd face some kind of rebellion or if Hong was so truly so far gone in the depths of his own insanity at this moment, and I say moment because we're going to get to the point where he snaps out of it, he was being manipulated. Um, his, uh, Yang is also a massive opium addict. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so there's a lot of things going on here. Um, and before long, all of the directional kings are plotting behind one another's backs because they see that you know Hong is kind of weak. This ends in one faction accusing another group from another faction of engaging in an orgy between themselves and their wives. Um, so yeah, uh, some eyes wide shut shit happening. Um, ending in several of them and their wives all being beheaded. I really fucking hate it when I get portrayed by my directional kings. 
Like it's just one of those things. Like you sort of you sort of assume you've got the whole field covered when you appoint four directional kings. Like you figure they've got their fields of fire covered. You know, three hundred sixty degrees. Everyone's on your side, and yet you get betrayed by them Hon- when they yeah. have an eye shut party. Hong walks in to to see his celestial family and just walks in on a pile of like writhing bodies, all fucking one another. He's like, oh man, this isn't what's supposed to be happening. Exactly. This is not what I said I wanted. All right. I, I wanted to do this, but I didn't want you to be allowed to do this. Yeah. This is people not reading the fine print. Now, in another situation, Yang flexes harder because the British show back up at the Heavenly Kingdom or the Heavenly Capital for to to make official trade of coal to buy to buy coal from them and sell them most likely guns. The British were pretty open selling selling them guns and ammo at the time. Now, Yang greets them and refuses to allow them into the city unless they answer a quiz, which she hands them on paper, and it all has to do with theology. It features such questions as, how tall is God? How large is God's abdomen? What kind of clothes does God wear? And can God compose verse? Um, Uh, I feel as though... Every answer is going to trend in a sort of like Hong direction as regards size, height, weight, abdomen shape, verse composition abilities. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel so like it's just like, hmm, I, I feel like I've heard about a variety of these characteristics before in one specific guy. Yeah. Uh, I ask you, British traveler, can God compose sick bars? Uh, it's like with no comment to the quality of them well sure i suppose he can i mean i don't necessarily know if i'm gonna want to listen to him but yeah you know what it's like why not it's the whole guy can compose verse a whole bunch of like really tired annoyed british traders having to sit down and listen to hong's mixtape like uh fucking christ okay fine um <laughs> i feel like people who are aware of some of the just incredibly fucked up weird shit that's going on in britain these days would absolutely know where i'm coming from on this that like, well, it's not exactly a common thing. It's definitely, it does happen periodically that like some insane transphobe group is going to like go to some insane campaign thing and they all get on the train and decide to just like bother people on the train and just randomly ask them like, do women have penises? And and I recall a friend describing a guy just basically who seemed like a sort of chill dude in his 50s on the train being bothered or asked this question. And the guy was like, yeah, probably. And he just fucking walked away. And it's like, that's how I imagine the British energy of trying to sell coal or buy coal from these dickheads and having to answer all these questions. It's just like, yep, I get it. It's your thing. This is just your thing you talk about. You talk about God's abdomen and he's exactly the same height as this random guy. Got it. Is God thicker than a snicker? Uh, now, th- this paper test had 50 questions in total, and they had to answer all of them correctly. They fail, of course, uh, and they're forced to go back to Shanghai, which at this point is locked in rebellion of its own uh, due to Taiping supporters in the local mafia and secret societies. Um, though how and when Yang instituted these tests seems to be arbitrary, as the heavenly capital was all of Western traders as well as mercenaries. The mercenaries uh, are by far my favorite group of people here. Uh, now, some were mercenaries and others were true believers, but we're going to get to these guys in a second. Um, all right. Because they were like Western powers are openly trading guns and mercenaries were helping or were attempting to train the, the rebel army. 
Um, and like they were selling them off the books gunpowder labeled as snuff and guns labeled as umbrellas. Um, now, the foreigners who flock to Taiping as true believers are probably some of my favorite people in this story that we have the least amount of information on. One was an Italian guy who was reportedly armed with a 20-pound sword who would lay down and play dead, and then when Imperial soldiers came up to him, he would spring up and start attacking them. Um, and there was... I feel as though this would work, like, once, maybe <laughs> right? twice. Right? Like, uh, Giuseppe's doing his fucking trick again. All right. I'm just also imagining 19th century Sino weebs who are absolutely into this idea that like God has now taken human form in, you know, Imperial China. Yeah, it's really easy to win over. He just played them techno and gave them cocaine. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a thing. I don't think that's a thing in China. But no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I feel I feel I feel as though like techno maybe in a really bad, like a really like like safe for hotel bar sense, perhaps. Maybe it's crazier, who knows? But the, the the hard drugs thing, I feel like China's pretty pretty strict on that. Uh now if if it's if it's homegrown methamphetamine, sure. But import I don't really think they grow coca leaves in China. So like, yeah, I bet you it's hard to get coke in China. Look, Nate, and I bet you be you the did, change you, you really want to see in the world. That's what I say. Yeah, well, like I say, I mean, I am a British citizen, and if there's any one thing British citizens know, it's bringing hard drugs into China to profit themselves and hopefully get the entire population hooked on it. Which is why Nate only goes to Thailand once a year. <laughs> you know what? That's the best reason that someone who looks like me and is from Britain could be going to Thailand once a year. That's fair. I gotta be honest. That is with absolutely you. Like, true. Yeah. You want to like? You want to like? Be like, I'm here for drugs. Drugs only. Disregard any other stereotype of what a guy who looks like me with my passport is doing in this country once a year. Just drugs. Whoa. That's it. Whoa, whoa, guys. I'm not some kind of freak. I just have heroin shoved up my asshole. I promise. <laughs> And everyone's like, well, I mean, yeah, all right, cool. I was a little worried about you, but yeah, all right, I, I can accept that. Uh, now, <laughs> he, uh, he was by f- this, uh, this Italian guy was not the only random believer. There was quite a few uh, foreigners who came there, but my favorite group was a group of Irishmen who showed up, swore allegiance to the Hong Christ, and acted as the Taiping executioners, which is something everyone seemed weirdly okay with. Wait, so their executioners were a bunch of Irish guys? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I, I, I'd like to do an Irish accent and just imagine the scene of getting your, your, your like, your man's getting his fucking head lopped off. <laughs> but like, I know that's wrong. And Tom is editing this and he's gonna be like, dude, you sound like an idiot. Like, what if a Scottish guy was not Northern Irish, but like lost in the Irish Sea somewhere? I get it. I know. I can't do the fucking accent. But still, that's a very funny mental image. Tom's going to claim ancestral Chinese citizenship because one of his long lost relatives was a Taiping executioner. (laughs) (laughs) God, that's so nuts. I'm sorry. Like, you could have. This is one of those instances where I was like, all right, a bunch of foreigners flocking to China to join the Taiping Rebellion. I can imagine a bunch of weird, like, this is generally the era of stuff like the the fucking, you know, miracle at Lourdes and stuff like that in France and people seeing visitations of Christ and people seeing stigmata, statues crying, shit like that, statues crying blood, et cetera, et cetera. Like, but I guess I just wasn't expecting the Irish. <laughs> that's that's weird. That's 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 like a real like like shock you know flash to bang moment right there there are there's also some americans uh one of whom is is kind of an insane person which we'll talk about in a little bit 
Um, now, it's early 1855. Shit is bad. Famine is rapidly setting in. Uh, now, this is not all the faults of the Taiping or even the government, um, but it was mostly, again, due to weather changing, uh, like weather patterns changing and, and, you know, rain not coming and whatever. However, after years of war, scorched earth, looting, badly managed collectivism of resources, and more than one man-made flood, things were much worse than they originally would have been. Um, like not to mention are like armies of hundreds of thousands, sometimes half a million people are coming through these provinces and just eating everything that, uh, that a human body can digest. So a famine, which almost certainly would have happened and it wouldn't have been even notable in the, the history of Chinese famines becomes one of the worst. Yeah. God, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, now, the Imperial Army has managed to maintain a huge force just east of the city, and now there's something of a battle of the fake Jesuses inside. In the meantime, the birth rate in areas controlled by the rebels, would you have guessed it, has dwindled down to virtually zero, um, because, you know, fucking gets your head cut off. I mean, you kind of, there's this thing you kind of have to do to make a baby, and Unless there's an immaculate conception, which has apparently in the belief system of the people involved here happened once, but just once, just once. You can't really count on a thing that your belief system tells you has happened one time in human history to happen a bunch. You kind of have to fuck. And if you're not allowed to fuck, there's probably not going to be any babies. Yeah. And the fact that there's anybody, there's some, some bold people fucking be like, you know what? Like, no, this is, this is, this is an immaculate conception. I, I, I'm a virgin. I've never had sex. None of us has had sex. I, uh, this baby just got materialized. I found this baby outside when I was praying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they did, they did finally allow people to get married one, uh, like again. Um, but they still weren't allowed to live together. Uh, and fucking out of wedlock still gets you uh, a visit from the uh, the local Irish execution squad. Can you imagine? It's like you've been caught in flagrante delicto. You know, you've just got like like triplets on the way. You've just been busting a ton, and it's like fuck, I'm caught, I'm caught. And it's like you're whatever it is you're expecting. You, it just it is not a bunch of Irish dudes. You know, like the fucking Shamrock Squad showing up with a battle axe. <laughs> Well, it's like the ISIS is the Beatles, so these are I don't know the rubber bandits. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have uh, I can't even remember what they called that guy. Like, there was a nickname for the the British uh, ISIS guy who jihadi it wasn't jihadi John. I can't remember, but yeah, the the yeah, like you were saying, the Beatles, like whatever the sort of the, the dudes who were like the head cutters, the throat cutters, and it's like you have the Irish version of that. You know, you have like the like like the Blarney version of that. Like that's you're sitting around praying to a guy who claims to be Jesus's little brother in your weird commune, controlled by like a 17 year old sergeant who you have to call your worship, and you accidentally get someone pregnant. You're like, man, my day could not get any worse. And then like three Irish and dudes then appear. Fucking Fergus and Denal show up, <laughs> just 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 whistling a reel. Yeah, exactly. It's like fuck me, man. Bad way to go. Now, Yang, the guy who was pretty much running the government at this point, as much as anybody who's actually running the government is, comes down with what people call an illness. Now, this what actually what it was, probably, nobody can say for sure, was opium withdrawal. 
Um, now, he, ah. from what anybody can tell, is he'd go on massive fucking benders of opium. Um, because when he smoked opium, he believed he talked to God, which... Sure. He's not the first person to believe you can get ripped out of your gills and speak to some celestial being. Um, but then he would like attempt to get clean uh, and go through horrible withdrawal because, you know, opiate withdrawal is fucking terrible at which he would then relapse over and over again. So he would just end up staying in bed, sweating his fucking ass off, then getting ripped out of his mind telling people he's talking to God and then whatever his hazy opium dreams come up with then becomes law. And anybody who doesn't treat his opium hallucinations as the word of God gets beaten with sticks by Irishmen. <laughs> this, this seems inadvisable. This seems like not a great way to live your life. Like I just, you know, I, I, I feel as though we already have enough bad 1960s and 70s lyrics from, you know, the boomer AM radio classics and like what now constitutes classic rock to understand that like, okay, I don't think the lyrics to fucking I am the walrus should be made into law that's enforced with capital punishment. Like that's just a bad idea. It's just like a tired Chinese guy who's just sick of fucking working all day, bowing to someone, trying to remember the newest edict, like... Cuckoo, I'm supposed to say goop 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 to this guy, aren't I? Fuck shit! I can't keep this shit together. Uh, God damn it! The angry Irishmen are gonna visit me again. Uh, oh, and if that didn't work, he ordered his squad of Irish executioners to make people become quote heavenly lanterns, which is exactly what you think it is. He d- so let me guess: cutting people's heads off and then fucking hollowing out their heads and getting their skulls and putting a light inside it. Actually, that's way more inventive. He just chucked oil all over them and set them on fire while they're still alive. Oh, I thought the head became a lantern, you know, because like, you know, it's like the common freak shit, despotic history, whether it's whatever era of human history of like putting people's heads on spikes and stuff like that. Yeah, kind of yeah. like advertising their their head, you know, as like, a hey, don't, you know, guess what? You fuck around. This is what we do to you, et cetera. And I was thinking, like, what's the more depraved, insane thing you could do? But you're right. That's a lot of work, though. Like, actually getting a skull from a live person, like getting the skull skull out, takes a lot of work. It is a lot easier to just douse them in oil and light them on that's fire. That's that famed Irish work ethic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, find us a way around this shit that still meets the intent. I am simply not boiling and excavating heads all day. Uh, now, Yang spreads this punishment far and wide, even down to palace attendants and members of his harem who smell bad, according to him, or talk too loud while he was laying in bed being dope sick. Um, so basically, like, it's the re- withdrawal <laughs> scene from train spotting, but then, like, everyone gets put to the sword after. Like you, you leave, like, your local shop or whatever. You see people running around in circles on fire. Like, ah! Ah! Oh, yeah, they, yeah. They pissed off the king while he was uh while he was coming down. Whoops. Yeah. Shit. You know what? Fucking normally it's just vomiting and the shakes and really bad fever, but I guess now it's like it gets manifested in bizarre ways. So, you know what? It's not the worst case of withdrawal. Whatever whatever you've experienced or whatever someone close to you has experienced is not the worst case of withdrawal <laughs> ever. It's probably this guy just by the knock on effects of like it turning into basically, you know, that horrible German children's book Der Struvelpeter with like 
the girl gets lit on fire because she plays with matches. It's like that times a million. Of course, it's a fucking German children's book. Oh, no, dude. It's a digression. I don't want to take too much time, but I got given this book like it was a normal gift when I was six and I didn't really speak German because I just moved to that country. And like it's an 1800s children's illustrated book about like, don't be a bad kid because bad things will happen to you. Like, for example, if you suck your thumb, this guy with huge scissors will come out of nowhere and cut your thumbs off. It's a fucking terrifying book. <laughs> Extremely German. Jesus Christ. It's called Der Struvelpeter, like horrible Peter. And uh, I, 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 I can't... It's early enough to, in the day that I don't want to try to spell a German word on the fly and have it be on recording. But like, yeah, look up German children's book, Horrible Peter, and you will find it. <laughs> uh, this podcast brought to you by Horrible Peter. Uh, get it today, your local Barnes and Noble. Uh, now, Yang had centralized so much power onto himself that nobody was safe, including Hong. Now, remember, Hong, per his own ideology, made all of his kings part of his celestial family of heaven, meaning they were all technically related to God and therefore could speak to him, kind of, but it was supposed to be Hong's job to interpret the word of God. Yang, in a fit of insanity, drug-induced haze, or just good old-fashioned power play, said God had told him Hong and every other king other than himself had displeased God and once again needed to be flogged. Hong once again, submitted. It's getting a bit ridiculous. I mean, like at a certain point, it's like there's, you know, it's like everyone is kind of wrapped up in the same charade here. But at a certain point, you must be like, okay, I think this guy might not actually be talking to God. I think yeah. this might be a might be an issue here. I think he might be making it up. And some of the some of the other kings were like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Like, I didn't piss off God. Fuck him. You know, I imagine this must happen a lot in cults. Yeah, like of I, course I've never does, been involved yeah. in one, and and I don't plan to be. And uh, and if if you are related to someone who has been, I'm very sorry, and you have my deepest sympathies. But I just I get I got, this must happen. Like it, there must be some moments where people are like, you know, wait, I can just make shit up and fucking say it's the word of God, and it's like, oh yeah, but no, only that guy's allowed to do that. I mean, that that's effectively what happened in Scientology when old LRH was doing nothing but doing pills and dying in a trailer in the desert. Um, like everybody realized like, we can just do whatever the fuck we want now. Look, man, no matter what the origins of Burning Man are, you have to respect it as a valid expression of creativity. <laughs> now, in order to, uh, to secure the heavenly kingdom, because at this point, Yang's like, I'm, you know, I'm effectively the heavenly king in all but name. He wanted to secure it for good. So in order to do this, he orders the generals he deemed to be most loyal to to Hong still to go off on different military campaigns. And once they are gone, he tells Hong that he believes that he deserves the same title that Hong had given himself, which was the Lord of 10,000 years, um, which is admittedly quite sick. Um, that is a good name. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing you can say a lot about the Taipings, but they had titles down. Uh, they didn't, you know, food, not so much, but titles. Absolutely. This, it seemed finally snapped Hong out of it. He sent runners out to his generals that Yang had ordered away, begging for them to return to the heavenly capital. Soon they do. And other kings, namely Wei Chenghui and King Rangon, who had been getting shit on by Yang for years at this point, order their soldiers to go on a goddamn rampage. The Hong loyalists storm Yang's palace, and before he even has a chance to do anything, he is cut down as are his entire family. However, Hong's orders them were just to kill Yang. He only wanted Yang to die. However, this rapidly turned into a massive 
uh, account of like settling old scores and they sure. they went on a killing spruce in the heavenly capital and the violence spiraled out of control for three goddamn months and killed thousands of people. Now, this is when Nishi Dekai, the wing king, chicken connoisseur appears in the city. He was a Hong loyalist and was like, hey, guys, why are you killing so many people? The heavenly king only wanted us to kill one guy. So what the other two kings, we and Kim, declare him a traitor, forcing him to flee the city, at which point he rallies his own army of around 100,000 soldiers. Seeing their political opponent get away, the other two kings simply murder Xi's entire family, who was still living in the city in his palace. Now, Xi is by far the most popular and arguably the most accomplished of all the Taiping kings, as he was the only one out still leading his army from the front. And if you're a true believer in the Taiping ideology, that is very, very important to like, you know, suffering brings you closer to God. Hence why it took him so long for him to answer Hong's plea for help back in the capital. Now the Heavenly King, facing down a four-sided civil war, asks Xi to come back. And she responds that he would only come back to the city if the other two kings were executed and their heads were delivered to him. So, Hong orders his personal bodyguard to do just that. Takes them both out. She returns, and uh, the Heavenly Capital greets him with throngs of cheering civilians, and uh, he is named commander of the entire army of the rebellion. But now Hong didn't fucking trust anybody, especially anybody with power that could rival himself, and especially not the commander of his entire army, despite the fact he's the one who just made him that powerful. In order to counter the last remaining celestial king, Hong appoints his actual blood-related brothers to the, the vacancies of the other directional kingships, which is a pretty big nail in the coffin of his religious ideology. Because remember, previous to this, the kings couldn't die. Now they were dead right. and they were replaced. And now we're, not only were they not replaced by celestial family members, because like those kings had sons and stuff who would technically also be related to God. Instead, he points his own actual brothers, uh, completely voiding his ideology. I was going to this is just starting to seem like the old divine right of kings yeah. as applied to just this one guy and his his family, his blood relatives. So, yes. yeah, a little little bit of a rehashing of a familiar theme. Yep. So with the heavenly kingdom tearing itself apart, you'd think that the imperial government would be able to sweep in and finish them off once and for all, right? Nope. Not even a little bit. Well, to make a long story short as to why, the fucking British, because this is when the second opium war starts. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Roger. Now, I'm not going to go into the opium wars too hard because one day they'll, that, that is a series unto themselves. But at the end of the first war, the British were granted free reign over several trading ports as well as Hong Kong. British trade supremacy led to an obvious anti-British attitude in many parts of China among the Chinese who were being forced out, leading to physical confrontations between Chinese civilians and British people. Eventually, this pissed the Brits off as they believed they should be able to uh, do whatever the fuck they wanted without any repercussions. So they invaded Canton, attacking forts along the Pearl River. The British demanded free reign over all of China's ports rather than the ones they had secured at the end of the First War, which would also include the free trade of opium throughout all of China. At this point, opium was freely traded, however, only in the specific ports that the Brits controlled. This would make it free, freely traded throughout all of China. Eventually, this blew up into another war, with France joining in on the side of the, of the British, who were then joined by the Americans and Russia. The, the Americans are 
a very, very outlying power here because look at the years. The Civil War is happening. They really have nothing to give. Um, this war lasts for four years, and China ended up giving uh, a lot more in order for it to end. In short, it's really bad, um, and you know, it it ends up bringing all of these European powers also into the Taiping Rebellion. Um, now, at this point, the majority of the centralized imperial army for what had existed was pretty much ruined, though it hadn't really been doing well even before the Second, second Opium War. Instead, the only thing keeping the government going was individual commanders leading smaller militias and provincial armies, virtually independent from any kind of government control. One of these, probably the most important, arguably, is the Hunan army, which had just finally been pushed away from the heavenly capital during the fall of the Opium War. The army was commanded by Zhang Gaofan, who had raised the goddamn thing himself, which he funded by diverting toll road fees, um, which I assume those fees were really high. Eventually, his army grew to half a million soldiers, and slowly he began pushing the rebels back. Though, this is where things get weird. The Hunan army was not alone, and probably the most famous part of the Imperial army was known as the ever-victorious army was much, much different. This was started as a foreign army of mercenaries supported by thousands of local Chinese, originally commanded by an American named Frederick Townsend Ward. Have you ever heard of this? Okay. Have you ever heard of this guy? That name is weirdly familiar, but I absolutely could not tell you why. Well, he wasn't a soldier, but he was a merchant sailor who was a fucking asshole. Uh, so much so at one point, his own crew chucked his ass overboard. Though, where he really comes into prominent being in history was as a filibuster, once working with the notorious William Walker. William Walker. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I would love to do a series on the filibusters and specifically on on William Walker if we could. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, Quick potted history on that is that basically these were Americans who would just go to countries primarily in Central America and just claim them as states, territories to then be annexed by the United States with the intention of primarily Walker was doing this because he believed really hardcore in slavery and wanted to, he took over Nicaragua yeah. and wanted to make Nicaragua into a slave state. Um, they, they wanted, they, they had this idea of something they call, I want to say like the golden circle, like the, the kingdom of the golden circle or something like that, where they basically, the goal was to eventually annex all of Central America and make it into slave states. And if I remember correctly, Walker took over Nicaragua and wasn't necessarily completely hated at first, but then like made some insane decisions and also banned the Spanish language and said everything had to be done in English. Yeah, of course. And was a bit a bit of a challenge for for Nicaraguans in the 19th century. And so basically Central America, which hadn't really had wars of independence, they just got granted independence from Spain. Uh, in the 1820s, I believe, because there was the, the Spanish crown basically controlled that whole area. Long story short, Central America's main war of independence was like the sort of uh, alliance of nations that uh, united to invade Nicaragua and beat Walker's ass. And they kicked him out. He tried again, but the British caught him in what's now Belize and handed him over to Hondurans. And they just fucking shot his ass. So he's buried in the city of Trujillo in, I think, the northern <laughs> coast of Honduras. And it just says on his gravestone, uh, he was killed in 1860. And it just says, like, William Walker, this date, shot. <laughs> now, 
working with William Walker is when he actually got like on the job training as an as a soldier because he wasn't one before this. Um, he parlayed this somehow into a French army commission in, during the Crimean War, which is a job he was not good at uh, and was fired. So at the end of the war, he ended up back on a trade ship, which eventually landed him in China and in the middle of the Taiping Rebellion. Um, Ward pretty much acted as his own hype man to build a mercenary army out of any white guy he could find in Shanghai who knew how to fire a gun, which, to be fair, was most of them. He then sold this idea to the government as a highly trained crack Western military force. Uh, he managed to get the Western backing and funds after the Second Opium War because that's when the British began heavily supporting what they called anti-banditry measures. And the Taipings at this point were considered bandits because this whole rebellion thing was really bad for business now that they controlled so much of China, you see. Um, however, as any you know, Gulf state can attest, money and guns do not make an army, and at least not a good one. While the early version of the victorious army did have, well, victories, they were still largely untrained, but they were better equipped than anybody else in China. So that did make up some of that gap. Uh, Ward asked for more time to train locals, but the government decided that they didn't have time for that shit. So they chucked him into a large battle, largely unprepared, and Ward got clapped with a cannonball, uh, which, you know, rest in piss, fuck him. Uh, and the command of the army is passed on to a guy named Henry Andre Bergvine, who was somehow worse than Ward. Yikes. I mean, that, that's, that's definitely a, a name that screams type of guy. So I'm interested in, uh, in hearing about this. Now, he was also American, but he was also a crippling alcoholic. And an alcoholic uh, by the mid 1800 standards is a level of alcoholic that we today cannot comprehend. And he was also a vehement fucking racist who had a undying hatred for Chinese people. Like, uh, <laughs> not good. He only addressed Chinese people with racial slurs while also being blind drunk all the time. And at some points, he would get drunk and just shoot at random passing Chinese people on the street in the middle of Shanghai. Uh, look. I just want to point this out that to stand out for your anti-Chinese racism as an American in the 19th century, you've got to have been on a level that is beyond human conception because America and the West in general, the you know sort of European and like settler colonial states settled by Europeans in general, were awful. But America in particular was fucking insanely bad about this. So the idea that you like stand out even more than your average American in terms of anti-Chinese racism, like it's just, that's saying, much like his alcoholism, that's saying a lot. Yeah, like to the point he was so drunk and so racist that the imperial government, despite being so badly in need, fired him. Um, then he switched side to the Taiping. I see. Nobody is sure why. We don't have a lot of information during his time with the Taiping. And it's not even sure if he actually managed to make it over to them. Uh, because Bergvine is eventually captured by the government. Instead of executing them, they, they deport him back to the US. Who Bergvine then somehow gets on a boat before he goes back to the US, a different one, goes back to China, 
and then is mysteriously murdered, almost certainly by the government. <laughs> They're like, oh, this guy's fucking back again. We're not doing this again. Just fucking I mean, shoot him is, in the this face. Is genuinely, this is genuinely the, the William Walker treatment. Yeah. Um, this is like, they're like, we, we kicked his ass out. We forced him to flee Nicaragua and he comes back and tries it again. And they're like, dude, like at a certain point, like we do have guns and we do shoot people. Like we're going to have to do that. And that's what winds up happening. One quick aside thing that's very, very funny. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan appointed an ambassador. I think, no, it was George, George H.W. Bush appointed an ambassador to El Salvador, whose name was William Walker. And no one in the U.S. government could understand why the, why the fuck everyone was so mad about it. And it's like, listen, if there's one name you don't want to have in Central America as an American, it's William Walker. They do remember, even if we don't, even if Americans don't, they do remember. I mean, who can forget the, the Austrian ambassador to, Ger- to Germany, Adolf Schickelgruber, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's. It's not. I would. It would. It's not quite Hitler, but like it's genuinely. It's. It's like imagine some villain. Some. Some. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Italy's ambassador to to fucking the United States, Benito Mussolini, or something. It's. It's along those it's lines. It's not nice like, to it's, talk about the current Italian prime minister's cousin that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, uh, and I think a lot of the reason why he was deported, of course, rather than being immediately murdered, is because America was also helping the Imperial Chinese only a little bit, again, because they didn't have a lot to help at the time. So they're like, if we fucking kill this guy, the Americans will be mad at us. Exactly. He is their citizen. And yeah. it's like, this is one of the things where if he were just a Chinese citizen or a citizen of a country that didn't matter to the, the imperial government, they absolutely would have shot him immediately. Yeah. But second time's had a the charm, of, baby. Yeah. He had a little bit of leverage by virtue of being an American citizen. And that absolutely went in one alcohol pickled ear and out the other. Yeah. So now command fell to a guy named Charles George Gordon. He was a former mili- uh, British military officer meaning he was the first guy they picked to an actual military experience. And he volunteered for service in China out of boredom and was named commander. And Gordon, despite being British, we have to begrudgingly admit, was good at his job. Though at this point, this is a very low bar. He made joining the ever-victorious army a good career prospect for people, which is a first in the entire Imperial Army at this point, to the point that more people volunteered than he had guns for them. Um, the reason for this was it was never a lack of funding, uh, but the other two commanders just fucking stole everything. So now Gordon, being generally an honest person, cleaned out the loyalist of the other two men who were still insanely corrupt and stealing things and actually paid people on time. He drilled his army to British military standard, which even at a much accelerated pace, which is what he was doing because he didn't have a lot of time, was much better than a lot of parts of the Imperial Army at this point. Uh, and not to mention, they were still flush with untold amounts of British cash. They also were very well armed. They got modern artillery, modern w- rifles, everything. They even got modern machine guns uh, as much as they existed at the time, like uh, Gatling guns and stuff like that. I mean, something that I point out, too, is that this isn't meant to be just like a sort of Euro supremacist division. Britain had developed military tactics so that it could do imperialism. Like Britain had developed military tactics so that it would be better at both fighting various iterations of like Napoleon and his his descendants and other things along those lines, but also in order to contest and control its imperial possessions, because this is squarely within the Victorian era. And Britain is Britain's control is fucking expanding around the globe at this point. So like it's not to say, oh, yeah, of course, they bring in a white guy like they brought in other white guys who sucked at their jobs because they were fucking insane. 
but Britain had a military culture that was advanced for the time. It was one of the better militaries in Europe at the time. And this is partly because of the fact that like they used their military to gain outsized levels of influence and control, given that this is a relatively small island in the North Atlantic and it basically ran the world at one point. And this was in the this was in the the the, the waxing period of the empire. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, this is the type of conflict that was built for um, I mean, the Taipings fought well against the imperial government, but only because it was, you know, ruined by rampant warlordism and, and division and decentralized control. So, yes. yeah, like, you know, it's a low bar for success here. Um, now, the, the foreign mercenaries are not the only foreigners involved in the war because the British, French, Americans and Russians all deployed soldiers like actual uniformed soldiers, not mercenaries. Though, again, the Americans didn't really send much of anything. Not only were they much happier letting the British and the French do the heavy lifting here when it came to military matters, it was still the Civil War uh, just a few months before. They didn't have a lot of shit to give. Um, you know, th- what was the U.S. military was busy ripping itself apart. However, this is also a very important time for the Empire of China. The emperor died and it was replaced by his five-year-old son, which meant he would have to have a regent. This ended up being two different empresses, one of whom, Xi Shi, uh, you know, legendary empress in Chinese history, mostly for the reformation campaign that she would launch. Now, this is an attempt to duct tape the broken imperial government back together and rejected Western forms of government in order to, you know, in favor of keeping the old imperial system, but did toss open the doors for military and technological reforms to prop the whole thing up. So she welcomed the outside world into the Chinese government, unlike ever before, so they could pump guns in training into the imperial army, which they desperately, desperately needed. So these foreign soldiers had two purposes. They were supposed to train and try to reform the battered imperial army, though in many cases, they would just straight up lead them into battle. Uh, They were also supposed to protect things they believe important to their national interest, of course, namely Shanghai, which had been first captured by a secret society known as the Small Swords Society in 1853, and then the Taipings in 1860, who only held it for a few months before withdrawing. In 1861, the Taipings had mustered an army of 100,000 and were marching in the city again, and they did have some limited success, landing 20,000 men by boat and seizing a district of the city. Previous to this, the imperial government had asked the Westerners to remain neutral due to the bad PR of having to have their asses pulled out of the fire by Westerners. After this, though, the government asked for assistance, and they got it. This is where the ever-victorious army appears in earnest for the first time, uh, and as well as you know, actual uniformed soldiers. This turned out would be very, very bad for the rebels. For the first time, they would not be fighting towards what was a uh, like you know uh, a warlord army with largely untrained militiamen. They would be fighting a professionally trained and armed army that now had rifles and artillery that far outranged anything that the Taipings had their had at their disposal. The Westerners, along with the Imperial Army, shattered the rebel force, which had now had the path of retreat cut off by the ever-victorious army. Around half of the rebel army was able to escape, but the other half was not so lucky. At this point, Hong called off the attack, and the rebels wouldn't threaten Shanghai ever again. Though, most importantly, this is where the rebellion of the Heavenly Kingdom would enter what I call a death spiral. Southern China, that being the area still held largely by the Heavenly Kingdom, was collapsing into uncontrolled famine and disease, both of which were made significantly worse by the war waging all around him. 
Rather than try to do anything about it, the Heavenly King, Hong, had become a germaphobe, demanding everybody rinse their mouths out and wash their hands before they come near him. Again, he had largely stopped trying to rule over his kingdom and dedicated himself to rewriting the Taiping version of the Bible yet again. Garrisons and civilians starved as what little food they had ran out. People began foraging for weeds and grass to stave off death, and cannibalism was reported in every single city that the rebels controlled. Now, Western powers had opened the floodgates for the imperial government in the form of guns, training, and, probably most importantly, food. And that is where we'll pick up next time on the conclusion to the Taiping Rebellion. Yeah, I mean, uh, stuff's not going great. But at the same time, there was this question that was always looming in my mind of like, when you talk about the dissension and the betrayals and the executions and general insanity, why is the Imperial Army not exploiting this? And it seems that, well, they had problems of their own. They really couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But as they, as they were able to remedy that and bring in, you know, deploy the resources that they were able to get their hands on and also you know, deploy these various alliances and, and, you know, new additions of foreign actors that now they are able to engage with it in a way that's going to take advantage of the fact that these guys are, uh, you want to say a clown show, but a clown show that's been successful and also killed a lot of people. It's a clown show ran by Pennywise. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, exactly. and like, remember we talked about in the other two episodes, the, the, the building wave of the typing rebellion was, you know, the universal theory of fuck that guy. People were joining in. Yes, yeah, some out of religious belief, but the vast majority because the, the, the Qing government was so bad. And now a lot of people were seeing that, holy fucking shit, this is much, much worse. <laughs> like, so, you know, they don't get these massive recruitment drives of 50,000 people, 100,000 people like they're getting anymore. Like, and the people that they did have, they've been throwing haphazardly, badly developed military plans or you know having them be washed away by the grand canal or freezing to death or getting lost like that's why i call it like the death spiral there's no coming back at that point they had no food no leadership a- administration at this point hardly exists uh, the, the high water mark is, is way far beyond them uh, and finally the Qing government has the ability to take advantage of this because they were so badly led themselves uh, I mean, even in the beginning of all this, if we're looking at the same Qing government as we're looking now at the end of part three, the rebellion dies in its womb, you know, um, it, when they first attempted to take out the Taipings when they gathered in the one place in the very beginning of all this. But, you know, I guess 10 years later is better than never. <laughs> yeah. And I, as I recall, as we'll get into the, in, in the terminal episodes, uh, it does go on for a while in terms oh, yeah. of like remnant groups. So oh, it's yeah. like. The, the tide is turning, but it's a, it's a very, very slow rotation. And, and I mean, we, we've been making the, the, the ISIS comparison frequently because it's easy. But, you know, yeah, it's going to go on for years in multiple different countries and like a small simmering, you know, largely unimportant group of assholes who refuse to admit that, they're, that they've lost. Now, yep. Nate, thank you so much for again joining me here uh, at the altar of uh, Hong Christ at part three. Use this area to plug whatever shows of your the multiple shows that you work on. If people aren't already listening to them for some reason, yeah. So I am the co-host of What a Hell of a Way to Die, a show that I do with Francis Horton, friend of the show, about why you shouldn't join the military. And we also talk about uh, lots and lots of strange military culture and news, veteran culture and news, and you know, sort of arcana of that. 
nature. And we also just tell dad chat stories because uh, we're, we're old and that's what we talk about gardening. <laughs> I am the producer of a show called Kill James Bond, which is a started as a review all the Bond films and now has become a review movies podcast hosted by three trans people who are extremely funny. Their names are Alice Caldwell Kelly, Abigail Thorne, and Devin. Uh, just did three nights of live shows for them and those recordings will be coming out soon. So might be a good time to pick up to understand what the whole dynamic is about and why people like this show. I also am the co-host and producer of a show called Trash Future, which is a podcast about primarily the tech industry, British culture, but the tech industry from the perspective of uh, finding the dumbest examples of tech optimism and making fun of them. So if any of those shows sound interesting, uh, aside from this one, which is uh, I am now you know, doing more on recording with... Uh, if any of them sound interesting to you and you want to hear more of me or stuff that I'm involved in, uh, those are all available on every podcasting platform you can think of. So just check them out. And everybody, thank you so much as always for listening to the show. If you like what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon uh, where you get bonus episodes, like five years worth of bonus episodes at this point. Um, you get access to our Discord. You get stickers. You get books. You get all sorts of other stuff. Uh, and if you don't want to, that's fine. It's your money. Do with it what you please. Uh, but leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts is free. So we'd appreciate if you did that because it's nice to hear kind words about the effort we put into the show. Uh, and until next time, uh, uh, don't get visited by the squad of, uh, of Taiping Irishmen. Yeah, I'll try to avoid that. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Yep. Bye.